All right, you guys can grab a seat. You guys can grab a seat quick. Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to Docs of Church. Super glad you guys are all here. Um, if you got a Bible, pull it out. We're continuing through this series we've been going through in Genesis, and this morning we're in Genesis 22. So find your way there, Genesis 22. First book of the Bible, pretty easy to find. And if you are familiar with Genesis 22, you know that this is a story that is um, kind of one of like the famous stories in the Old Testament. When you read through it, you'll probably be like, oh man, like I, I've heard of this story before. And the reason is because it's a pretty wild story. And so before we start, I just want to um, tell you how my life changed a little over three, um, three years ago. So three years ago, me and Steffi had uh, our first child named Silas. And so my, my son Silas is awesome. You guys probably know him. He's the kid who's like basically uh, not parented super well, runs around like crazy after, <laughs> after the service, just like literally running all over the place. We're trying to catch him and find him. Um, he's awesome. And our story with Silas started um, basically in the very middle of the night. We, we knew that we were like getting close to, you know, the due date and stuff. We're trying to figure out how to get this baby out of here. And basically just our story with Silas started off in the middle of the night at like 3 a.m. with just like a scream, right? Like the whole night before we were like, is this labor? Is this not labor? Like, okay, she's got some cramps going on. But all of a sudden it was like this shout in the middle of the night. And I was like, oh, this is, this is labor. Like that's what it is. This is like a different thing than what had been happening the day previous, and we like rushed to the hospital, um, sort of rushed. I was in a rush. Steffi was like, I got to take a shower first. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, she's like taking a shower, like while she's like screaming in the bathroom. I'm like, this is a bad idea. Like, he'll be fine for the photos afterwards, you know, but she's like, wants to take a shower. So anyway, we get to the hospital, and like way faster than I was prepared for, the doctor's like, are you ready to have a baby? I was like, no, this is supposed to take hours. And he's like, well, here it comes. And I was like, okay. And uh, Silas is born. And I'll spare you all the, the rest of the details. But I remember um, in that moment, right, Silas is born. And they basically just like, they take the baby, they clean him up a little bit. And they basically hand him to me. And, and they're kind of over there with Steph. And there was just like a 30-minute period where I'm just like holding my son. And, uh, you know, he didn't even like cry. He got, got cried for like a second and then just was like chill in my arms and uh, was just like staring up at me for like 30, 40 minutes while they were kind of getting stuff, kind of cleaned up and stuff. And I'm just like there, I'm like with my son. And it was like in that moment, you know, I had dreamt about what this would be like to, to be a dad. And it was, it was like everything I thought it would be and more, you know, it was like in that moment, you just knew like, well, my whole life is different now. Like nothing is the same. Everything is different from this point on because I have this son and this son that I love. And what's so crazy about this story is Genesis 22 is about God having a conversation with Abraham about the son he loves. And Abraham had, had waited a lot longer for a son than I had. Abraham was about 100 years old when him and Sarah had Isaac. And Genesis 22, it's the reason it's a crazy story is it's, it's God talking to Abraham about the son he loves. And the command that God gives Abraham is something crazy. He says, hey, Abraham, I want you to take the son that you love, and I want you to go up onto this mountain that I'm going to show you, and I want you to sacrifice your son for me. I want you to kill him. 
And it's a wild, wild story. And I want to just start off by reading it. And then we'll talk about it for a few minutes. Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mounds, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, Hey, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy, we will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the, the, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt sacrifice instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now this, by any stretch of the imagination, is a wild story, right? I mean, you probably feel that. I mean, if you have been to church in a while, you're like, oh my goodness, this is crazy. And I think, you know, when you first come up against this story, I think this story is basically asking us this question is basically saying, like, how much do you love God? You know, how much do you love God? This seems to be the question that's posed from this story. What would we do if God asked the ultimate of us? Or maybe even more specifically, what do we do if God asked us to give up what is most precious to us? Well, in Genesis 22, what God's doing is he's taking this question out of the abstract and God actually tells Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son whom he loves. And in the pages of Genesis 22, we read in an almost like slow motion account the agonizing story of a father answering that question, do you love me enough to give up what is most precious to you? And so here's where we're going, three kind of sections of this sermon, the command of God, the faith of Abraham, and the lamb on the mountain. Guys, I wanted to start, look at the very first verse, just the first part of the first verse. This is the command of God. 
And, and this is how it starts. This is after these things, okay? So whenever you read that in the Bible, you should like stop and be like, what things happened before this, right? Because the context actually makes this story even more weighty. Well, what are these things that happened before? Well, let me just give you an overview, right? As we've been kind of going through this series, you know that Abraham has been chosen by God. He's this unique relationship with God, and, and he's promised blessing, God says, I'm going to join myself to you. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my guy. And he's going to say, go from your people, right, to the place that I will show you. And Abraham follows. He's this man of great faith. He follows God. He says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will give a son to you. And actually, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to a son. And if you know this story, it's like a pretty radical promise because Abraham and Sarah have been infertile for decades. They are old. And at this point, Abraham is 100 years old. Their life had passed them by and they had had no children. And it's into this story, God speaks a promise and says, but I'm going to give you a child. And it's amazing because God does. In his grace, he gives them this like miracle child of promise. It's a miracle baby. Sarah is overjoyed. Abraham is amazed. God did it. And what they do after Isaac is born is they hold this like massive feast. Like they invite everybody, like the whole town, the whole village, like everybody come and see what God has done. And Sarah says that what has happened has brought joy and laughter into their hearts and then the hearts of all those around. God did the miraculous. God has brought joy and blessing to his people. And it says, after these things, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. I want us to just sit in this for a moment, to just really sit in it, really think about it. Because, you know, some people take this story and they say, man, this story is like an example that shows us that we are to obey God, um, even if obeying him is crazy, and even if obeying him makes no sense, even if obeying him means murder. Some people take this story and, and they take it to mean that what the Bible says is that doing evil is okay as long as God tells you to do it. But listen, that's not what's going on here. And that's not what's going on here at all. Actually, God doesn't try to figure out how far Abraham will go to obey. God doesn't say, Abraham, are you willing to kill your son? God says, Abraham, it's time to bring a sacrifice. But this time it isn't the first of your flock. It isn't the first of your produce. It is your son. And this seems so foreign to us, right? Like this idea of sacrifice of any kind. But Abraham was no stranger to sacrifice. You see, he knew the sin of himself and his family actually required atonement. He, needed, he knew that things needed to die in the gap between his sin and a holy God. He knew this. It was part of his story. And it's likely that these words of God were not actually a surprise to Abraham, but these were actually the words that Abraham had been fearing for his entire life. They were like the words of the nightmare that played over and over and over again in the darkness of his mind all of these years that the sacrifice that God would require of him would be the very thing he holds most precious, his son Isaac. And so it's like in this moment, you see Abraham's sin had finally caught up with him. If you've been following the story so far, you know that Abraham is a man of faith, but he's a man of tremendous failure. And his sin had finally caught up with him, and the cost was going to be his son's 
life. But see, the author lets us know something that, that Abraham is not privileged to. It says that God was testing Abraham. That this whole thing was a test. Well, what is this test about? Well, the author actually gives us a hint. Okay, look at verse 2 and look at the way that the author describes Isaac. He says, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. You see, something had happened in Abraham's heart over these last years where God had started to become second place to something else. You see, the blessing of God in Abraham's life had actually begun to be an idol. And slowly over time, Abraham began to love the blessing of God more than God himself. Right? Isaac, this like promised amazing blessing began to be something that God gave him. But it slowly began to supplant in the center of his heart, the place where only God should be. And there's this question that we need to ask as we read these verses. Do we actually love God? Or do we just love the things God gives us? And I'm serious, like that's a really big question. And sometimes it's actually even hard to differentiate those things, right? Like do we actually love God or do we love the blessings that God gives us? And so what God does in this moment is he goes to the center of Abraham's heart and he puts his finger on Isaac and he says, give me this. And Abraham, for all of his failures and for all of his sin, what he does is he responds to God in the same way that he responded when God first called him. He responds with faith. And this is the second thing, the faith of Abraham. And this, this really is an unbelievable story. Look at, look at verse 3. We'll just read this again. It says, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and he arose and he went to the place which God had told him. And on the third day, God, uh, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, hey, you stay here with the donkey. I and the boy, we will go over there and worship and we'll come back again to you. Like there's this, there's this tremendous faith, right? And then even his son asks him this question, right? His son's like, hey, I, you, you've got everything you need for a uh, sacrifice, right? You've got, uh, you've got the, the knife, you've got the fire. Like we've, we, we have everything, but we don't have the sacrifice itself. I mean, can you imagine just for a moment like your son asking you that question when you know what the sacrifice is going to be? It's a really, really deeply painful thing, but somehow in the midst of all of this, Abraham has this tremendous faith. He's like, look, I don't really know what's going to happen, but I know that somehow God's going to provide. And so there's this question, what do we do when the thing that God has commanded us seems to go against the things he has promised us? Because that is exactly what's happening in this story, right? Isaac was the promised child. God had promised Abraham that he was going to bless him and make him into a great nation. And now he tells Abraham that he needs to sacrifice the son that he'd promised to give him. What do we do when the thing God has commanded us seems to go against the promises that God has given us? And this isn't just like an abstract part of this story. Like I, I really do think this is part of our like average everyday lives. You know, you have like examples like God tells us to be witnesses to him wherever we're at. Like witnesses for him, right? It's supposed to be these kind of like people who share the gospel where we're at. But some of you, you work in places where you know if you make it a regular pattern to share your faith, you probably will not have that job for very long. And so what do you do? 
You have this command of God. It's like be a witness wherever you are. Like stand up for Jesus Christ. Be a witness. But you also know that God has promised to provide for you and bless you and take care of your family. And the job is your primary way of doing that. Right? Or some of you, you know that God has promised actually to take care of you and make you not lonely or sad, right? To actually give good things into your life. But some of you, right, you're dating someone who's not a Christian. And you are a Christian. The Bible says you shouldn't be unequally yoked with someone who's a non-believer. And so you're in this weird tension where the command of God says, hey, I know that you love this person. I know you like this person, but you're only actually supposed to be with someone in that romantic kind of way that's also a Christian. But you also know that God doesn't want you to be alone. And so how do these two things hold together? How do you follow the command of God when the command of God seems to go against something he's promised to give you? Well, what Abraham does is amazing because he responds with faith. He says, hey, you guys, you stay here with the donkey and I and the boy, we're going to go over there and we're going to worship God and we are going to come again to you. And he even tells his son, God will provide for himself a burnt offering, my son. You see, Abraham responds with obedience to God's commands, yet with faith that somehow God will still keep his promises. Like that, and that for you in this situation in your life, when you run up against something like this, where you're like, I know this is what God tells me to do, but if I do that, it feels like it's going to take away something I know he wants to give me. But what do you do? Well, I think that's what you do. You, you do what Abraham does, which is faith. You respond with obedience to God's promises, yet with faith that somehow God is going to keep his promises. And listen, he doesn't know how this is going to work. Like, there is not a single part of Abraham who's like, I know what's going to happen up there. He's like, I don't know what's going to happen. He has no idea how it's going to happen. But he knows that somehow God's justice is going to be satisfied through sacrifice. And at the same time, he is going to be gracious to give him the blessing that he has promised. Now, people often ask how people were saved in the Old Testament. It's like one of the regular questions I get. It's like, we get how that happens in the New Testament. But how are people saved in the Old Testament? Well, this is how. He says, look, I don't know how God is going to do it, but God is going to provide the lamb. God is going to provide the sacrifice. Somehow God is going to be just and he's going to be gracious at the same time. Somehow God will atone for our sin and he will give us the blessing he has promised. Now, I don't know how he's going to do that, but I am walking up this mountain with faith trusting that somehow he will. You see, Abraham placed his faith in God in the same way that we place our faith in God. He looks forward with faith that somehow God will do it, and we look backwards with faith that God has done it. Abraham had faith that somehow God would provide a lamb. You see, the difference is that just we know the lamb's name. So Abraham walks up the mountain with his son. And, and the book of Hebrews tells us that he had such incredible faith that he didn't know how it was going to happen. But Hebrews says that he believed that even if Isaac did die, God would be able to raise him back from the dead. He believed the promise. And so like, we have to just stop for a moment and recognize like, this is incredible faith. Like, it is incredible faith that this man has. That's why so much of the Bible looks back on him, and he's like the father of faith. It's like, look at his example. This is who we should be following God. But don't miss that this faith came in the midst of incredible agony. 
incredible agony. Genesis doesn't give us a lot of details on the stories that it tells, but we feel the weight as the author slows down for this one. I mean, did you catch some of the details here? Like, it, it doesn't just say he didn't just go to the place that God shows him, which is kind of the normal pattern of Genesis, but it says, no, he rises early in the morning. He probably couldn't sleep. He saddles the donkey. It's like such a minute detail. Like, it's like the story wants you to feel the weight of like these tightening leather straps on this animal. Like, just like every moment is kind of bearing down with the weight of what he's being called to do. He takes two of his men with him and he takes Isaac with him and, and he begins to cut the wood that he will need for the sacrifice. I mean, the story is like unfolding in slow motion. It's like the agony and burden weighing deeper through each blow of the axe. I mean, can you imagine this? Like to spend your morning chopping wood, knowing that later that wood is going to be laid on an altar and flames will lick up the side of this wood onto the body of the son that you love. I can't. I can't imagine that. And then the journey to the mountain, it took three days. Right? It wasn't just like a fast thing. Like he had three days of journey to contemplate what lies before him. Each step bringing Abraham closer to the moment where he will have to expose, expose the blade. Each step bringing more weight and more agony. And in verse 9 it just says, When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and he laid the wood in order and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Isaac is complicit. He doesn't fight back. He submits to his father, and while he is extremely confused, he just waits for the knife. And then in verse 10, it just says this, Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. And I want to just stop for a moment. Don't, like, don't move too far ahead in your mind to the end of the story. I just want you to sit in this moment and just like look at it. Like seriously, just for a minute, like get yourself up on this mountain and watch this. Like get, sit on a slab of granite and just watch the scene. Like what's happening up there? Do you feel the cool breeze of mountain air? Like what does Abraham's face look like? What does Isaac's face look like? What does it smell like on top of this mountain? Really try to put yourself there. I mean, do you hear the silence of father and son as a blade of death fills the space between? Is Abraham stone-faced? Is he crying? Just look at it. Like, feel it. What, and, and what does this do to you? You see, for a lot of us, th there is something deeply haunting about the story. And, and, I, and I think, like, deeply haunting. And at the end of the story, somehow, like, this ram in the thicket, it doesn't, like, totally settle our hearts. Like, I think if we're honest, a lot of us, when we look at the story, we're kind of appalled by it. Like, I get God asking to sacrifice certain things for him. Like, I understand that. But this is his son, this is his child. This is everything to him. How could God possibly ask anyone to do something so unthinkable? 
Like, do you feel this? Like, when you read this story, do you feel this? Like, the outrage of this story. And I, I think if you're in the room and if you're, like, actually processing this story, and if you aren't a little bit angry, then maybe you aren't really listening to the story. It's like you're hearing it, but you're not really hearing it. God told Abraham to take his son and offer him as a burnt sacrifice. His son, his only son, the one he loves. I mean, this, the, word, the story uses the word, my son, over and over and over and over again. It's like deep, driving this agony deeper and deeper and deeper with every single time it mentions son, because you know how much Abraham loves his son. He'd been waiting his entire life for a child, and finally God gave him one. And then after the blessing and after the excitement, after all of that, he tells him that he needs to sacrifice him. Do you not feel in your heart of hearts, God, no? Like, why? How could you ask him to do something like this? How could you do this? I feel that tremendously when I read this story. I don't know how to be unmoved by it. And I'll be honest, I don't know how to not be angry about it. Because I have a son, and I love him, and it would be unbearable to me to do anything even close to what God asked Abraham to do. And I'll just be honest with you, in my heart of hearts, I get angry at God over this story. I'm mad. It doesn't make sense to me. It's confusing. And what a lot of people want to do with a story like this is they just want to say, hey, but God is God and he can ask people to do whatever he wants them to do. And that just doesn't settle my heart. I don't know if it settles yours. It doesn't settle mine. I'm angry about this. But let me ask you a question. What if this is the point? What if this is actually the point? What if the point is that this story, it will not let you be a bystander? What if the point is it won't let you just sit there and remain apathetic, but it actually pulls you in, it grabs your heart, and it demands your anger. It demands your indignation. How can we not be outraged? How could we not be appalled? How could God do this? This is his son. What if this is the point? What if it's only when we become angry and outraged at this story that we can actually begin to be filled with the awe and wonder of what this story is really about? And that's where we're going now. This is what the story's about, the lamb on the mountain. You see, right when Abraham lifts his knife above his son, God stops him, right? And this is what he says. It's so fascinating. He says, now I know that you love, you fear and love me because you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You see, God stops him, right? Because the goal was never to get Abraham to sacrifice his son. The goal was to get Abraham to put God above everything else in his life. And as Abraham raises the knife filled with faith, filled with agony, but filled with love for God, God calls out from heaven and says, don't touch the boy. And as Abraham lifts his eyes, he sees a lamb standing next to him. And it just says very quickly, like just in almost two sentences, it just says, Abraham takes the lamb and he lays it where his son Isaac was laying. And in his grace, God provides a lamb 
instead of Isaac to be sacrificed. And Abraham slaughters the lamb. He lights the altar. And Abram and his son, they watch as the lamb that God provides is consumed on the altar. That is what the story's about. It takes place in like one sentence. But that is what the story is about. It isn't about Isaac. And it isn't even about Abraham. It's actually about that lamb. You see, this story is not about God seeing a presentation of what Abraham was willing to do for him. This whole story is actually about Abraham seeing a presentation of what God will one day do for him. You see, God wasn't asking Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son. He was showing Abraham in the most visceral way possible that one day God would sacrifice his one and only son for him. That actually this was going to be the cost of keeping this covenant together. Nancy Guthrie, she's a kind of a, a, an author and she says it like this. This was so helpful when I read this quote. It says, perhaps we're meant to feel a bit appalled. Like perhaps it's not until we feel a sense of outrage over these seemingly unfair requests that we can be prepared to feel an appropriate sense of wonder when we begin to see what we're meant to see in these difficult to swallow scenarios. When we begin to see what God intends for us to see, our outrage gives way to adoration and anger gives way to worship and horror melts into humility before a God who rather than asking the unthinkable of us has actually done the unimaginable for us. You see, the point of the story is not to convince you that you must be willing to sacrifice to God what is most precious to you, but rather this story is to prepare you to take in the magnitude of the gift when you see that God was willing to sacrifice what was most precious to him, his own beloved son for you. You see, this story isn't about Abraham, how he'd walk up a mountain with his son. This story is actually about how God the Father would walk up a mountain with his son. And what's so amazing about this is it's literally the same mountain. <laughs> he says, go to the hill, go to the, the land of Moriah, which is like the land of Jerusalem. And he's like, you're going to go to a mountain that I'm going to show you, right? God knows this mountain because before time began, he built this thing where his son would be slaughtered. And he's like, you're going to go to the exact same mountain that one day my son will die, Abraham, and you are going to basically enact what one day will happen with me and my son. Because see, one day God the Father would walk up the same mountain, and instead of carrying the wood, God's son would carry a cross. And God the Father would watch as nine-inch-long nails were driven over and over again into the wrists and ankles of the one that he loves. Stripped naked except for a crown of thorns, God's beloved son would be lifted high into the air. In the middle of two thieves, the king of the universe hung on a cross. You know, Isaac, even as confusing and painful as this situation was, he could still look into the eyes of his father and see that despite what was happening, he knew his father loved him. But Jesus was left all alone as the flames of the wrath of God rose higher and higher around him. One theologian says it like this. He just says, The Son paid the price on Calvary, but so did the Father. In mystery beyond mystery, the eternal God was silent as the incarnate Son cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not just at the incarnation did God give his Son, but he gave him also in the darkness, in the silence, as he forsook the one he loved. 
you know, we walk through life with the message of the cross bouncing off of us. I think this is true of almost every one of us in the room. It's like we see it, but we don't really see it. And, you know, we hear it and we don't really hear it. It's like we hear the story that God gave up his son for us, his only son, the son that he loves. And if we're honest, most of the time, we just don't care. We just don't care. And then we encounter this story in Genesis, and I really think this story is meant to outrage and shake us into feeling something, into feeling anything, so that maybe by being affected by this story, we might begin to be affected by the story it's pointing to, that maybe for the first time in our life, we might actually feel in a deep way what God did for us, that we would feel it. And then maybe for the first time we'd be amazed by it. And maybe for the first time we'd actually begin to be changed by it. Maybe in seeing and being moved by this story, we might see the gospel in a new way. And then actually these words that God speaks to Abraham would become the words that we speak to God. That we might actually begin to look at God and what he did for us. And we'd say, now I know that you love me seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. 1 John 4.10 says it like this. It says, this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You know, the question that I asked at the beginning, um, what do you do when God asks the ultimate sacrifice of us? That's the wrong question. You know, that, that's actually not the question of the story, and it's certainly not the question of the whole Bible. The question over our lives isn't what do we do when God asks the ultimate sacrifice of us, but rather the question that is over this story and the question that's over your story is what do we do knowing that God has offered the ultimate sacrifice for us? What do we do? Because what, what is true is that in that part of that story, I believe this happened in some of your hearts, is that there was something that welled up inside of you that was like a powerful emotion of anger and frustration that it could be possible that God would ask Abraham to do something like this. And what should happen is that same level of emotion and frustration, that should now turn and be like, oh my gosh, that is not something God is asking of Abraham or asking of me. That is something God has done for me. And the question over our lives is what do we do knowing that God has offered the ultimate sacrifice for us? Let's pray. Jesus, we read stories like this in the Bible and God, these are old stories. They're stories we've heard a thousand times. But God, I was, at least when I read these stories and when I think about them, God, there's part of me that connects with what you did for me in a deeper level. God, I feel, I feel this story. And God, when I think about this story, I feel in a unique way what you've done for me. That God, you are not asking me to sacrifice what is most precious. But God, you are just trying to help me understand that you have already sacrificed what was most precious for me. 
And Jesus, that is a weight that we cannot repay. That is not something that you're asking us to try to give back. That is just something that you're asking us to stand in awe of and receive and worship. And so Jesus, maybe in a fresh way, as we just hear this story, God, would you help the cross of Jesus Christ be real and powerful in our lives? God, would you help us be a group of people that do not hear about the cross and have it just bounce off, bounce off of us or just hard, stony hearts, God, but would we feel what you did for us? Would we care? And God, would it change our lives? In your name, amen.